0: It is good for us on this communion Sunday, the first Sunday of every month here at IBC, to be able to go to Exodus chapter 12 to see why and where the Lord's Supper originated in God's revelation. So, would you join me, please, in reading from Exodus chapter 12? We'll just read verses 1 through 13. Exodus. Chapter 12 and verse 1. The word of the Lord speaks to us, saying, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb. For a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on a fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. And children who are headed off to children's church, you can be dismissed. We just sang the familiar hymn, Nothing But the Blood. The title of my sermon this morning is Nothing But the Blood. What we have here in Exodus chapter 12 is the giving of God's law. It starts... Here in Exodus chapter 12, when we think of the giving of the law, we think later on in Exodus, we think about Mount Sinai, and God certainly gives his law at Mount Sinai, but it starts here. This is the law of God. God is giving them a clear command. Even before the redemption had happened, even before it was fully realized, they were to spend time memorializing its certainty. Let me say that again. Their full redemption hadn't yet been realized. They're still in Egypt. They're still in bondage. And God gives them a command of how they are to celebrate their redemption. I want you to understand that that is incredibly relevant. Our full redemption isn't yet realized. We walk by faith. We are confident and have a joy that is deferred, but it's not fully realized. Yet, this morning, the church will participate in the command of God in the Lord's Supper. We can see the significance of this text in the first two verses. Would you just look back again at chapter 12, verses one and two? You'll be reminded right away in verse one, That the fact that Moses and Aaron are identified as Levites and priests is significant. They are receiving this legal instruction from God. The responsibility of the Levites and the priests is to enforce the law among the people. As the nation's first two Levites, we can see that the instruction is of great importance. God tells his people, secondly, to orient their existence around his providence. Schedule your week according to what you can see that I've done for you. That's always been true of the people of God. It's true right now. It has been true to created people on the day when God rested. Rested we rest as an expression of his instruction to orient our week around what God has done. When Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the Christian church has traditionally oriented our week around the providence of his resurrection. So here too, in Exodus chapter 12, God says, all right, here's where all of your scheduling will start. This will be the first of the month. Now, Moses is speaking to more than just the immediate audience. Sure, he's speaking to the immediate audience. These are people who would need to have instruction for how they would worship God as a response to his providence once they arrived in the land of promise. Okay? These are God's people who have been told how they are to worship God in response to his providence. When they get into the land, this will be their command for worship. But he's not just speaking as Moses writes this in the wilderness, recounting Genesis and Exodus. Moses is not just writing to that first audience, But we are receiving a revealed truth. The long-term audience of God's people all through history, including us, are receiving a benefit from the truest point of the Exodus story. God supernaturally delivers his people from bondage to bring them into promise. That's Exodus. God, over everything else, supernaturally delivers his people from bondage to bring them into his provision. These features make Exodus powerfully relevant to the church. This is a wonderful story of our identity, our place. In all of Revelation, in all of time. If you remember, probably two months ago, I commented that when we come here to the Exodus, when we hear God declare, I am the God who made covenant promise in Genesis. I am the God who will always deliver my people as promised. You heard me say, probably two months ago, there is nothing more that can be revealed of God than what we're getting in Exodus. There is certainly more revelation, but not more to be revealed of God. What we know of God is being revealed right here. He supernaturally delivers his people according to his promises. If God is revealing his law through these spiritual leaders, and this revelation is going to shape their identity, As they establish worship, once they get into the land, and the people of God are to look at this redemption and see it as evidence, it's proof that God will always redeem as he says, then we have to know two things. We have to know first that God gives a law regarding the use of blood. And then if we were to have time today, we would keep reading through the rest of Exodus 12, we would see that God gives a law about how to celebrate the use of the blood. But let's, just for today, let's just cover the first one. God gives us a law about the use of the blood. Let me pray, and then we'll get to that one. Lord Father, the the receiving of your word, the preaching of your word, is a joy and a blessing. It's possible that we would overlook it, that our minds that are weak in the flesh would be drawn to peripheral things. But I pray that you would give eyes and ears to us now to see the truth of this wonderful, harmonious account of redemption. This memorial that we still celebrate as a memorial of your faithful deliverance of your people from bondage. So I pray that we would be shaped in our worship, in our confidence, in our obedience as we sit under the authority of this text. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> God's law is given here for the use of blood. Verses 3 and 4. If you look at verses 3 and 4, I'm reminded of the time of year it is for us, and it In verse 3 and 4, we're told that there's going to be a commemorative feast. There's going to be a meal shared. And there's some instructions given. And these instructions are really simple for us to see. He says, Don't wait too long to go out and get the meat. That's true. You ever wait too long? Day before Thanksgiving, it's Wednesday. You're trying to grab a turkey out of some old lady's cart at Walmart. God warns us against that. He says, you're going to celebrate on the 14th day, so on the 10th day, get ready. He says, everyone should get together every time we get to this part of the year. There's conversations. And I don't know which side of the conversation you're on. You're either on the side of the conversation that's requesting RSVPs, or you're on the side of the conversation that's sending RSVPs, right? You are either the one saying, who all's coming home? How How many seats do we need to set up for Thanksgiving or for Christmas dinner. Or you're the person responding to text messages. Yes, I will be there at this time. God says all the people are going to get together symbolizing a pattern of their shared blessing. All the people at the table partaking of the same substance. They're to share with their nearest neighbor and make account of the sacrifice. How many people are in your In your home. You only have two? Well, then share with a neighbor. You have ten? And maybe the neighbor needs to share with you. Take account. Don't waste any of it. Don't gorge on it either. But every one of the people must partake. The value of fist practice is in preparation for the Messiah. The Messiah is to be one body, broken for all, symbolically eaten by all the members of the family. This helps the Christian in the New Covenant. It helps us be aware of the unity as members of that one body. Now, I'm going to say this. Once... Not to be controversial, but to be clear. And if you want more conversation about it, we can talk later. This text, Exodus chapter 12, is reminding us right now in these seats in this room of the unity of the one body of God's people. Exodus 12 and December 2022. One people. Not the same nation, not the same ethnicity, but in a spiritual sense, all Israel. This reminds us of that unity. What they are reminded they have to participate in is the very same thing we're reminded we have to participate in. Not Judaism, but the blood of the Lamb. And it's the same promise. It's the same celebration. Spiritually, it's the same people. Not to be controversial, but hopefully to be clear. And if you want to talk to me more about Israel, church distinction and similarity. That's an enjoyable conversation. Verse 5. The sacrifice animal must be young, male, and without blemish, without defect. The reason for an animal sacrifice without blemish is not because it tastes better. We had some men in church give the pastors some venison. And if you've ever participated in hunting deer, you know that there are certain ways the animal can be shot or certain ways the animal can eat that really affect the way the animal tastes. And thankfully, this animal had eaten well and was processed well and tastes well. The sacrifice of this animal without defect was not to increase the value of of its quality of taste, but its symbolic purpose. The animal serves as a reminder of the eventual deliverance. It is a perfect God, perfectly providing for a people as part of process of making us perfect in him. The animal is to be without blemish because what's being done in Exodus chapter 12 is perfect. In its truest reality. This shadow has a perfect reality to it. So, young, male, without defect. The animal chosen four days in advance. Verse 6. We're reminded of what we had read earlier in verse 3. But here, in verse 6, we read this. You shall keep it from 10th to 14th day. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. As light fades, somewhere between three o'clock, six o'clock. You shall all come together in unity of function and faith and kill the lamb. The whole assembly of the congregation. Um. I can completely understand why it's popular to not make a distinction in worship between individual, everyday worship. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And corporate worship. I can understand why it would be popular to not make any sort of distinction between the two. But I, I hope that we can see that in Scripture, there is a distinction. When the people of God are assembled for a stated purpose of God, that's a significant occasion in the life of God's people. This right now is a significant occasion in the life of God's people. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel comes together. God develops this special phrase calling us the assembly of the Lord. These get-togethers are not just an extension of whatever you were doing Friday and Saturday. This is what he calls our gathering for this purpose. Verse 7, the verse specifies the power of shed blood. I want you to see that as we read verse 7, the power to deliver rests in the blood sacrifice, not in anything else. Get ahead of myself. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two door posts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. Look down to verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Look down to verse 22. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lintel to doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood, on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. The dwelling has as its most prominent feature the doorpost. This is the interface between what is inside and everything that is outside. This time of year, it's easy for us to see it. There is this interface between the warm, comfortable, cozy home and what's on the other side of the door. And there's this drastic distinction right now. And when the door opens and the cold air rushes over us, we're reminded there's a big difference between inside and outside. That helps us right now. There's nothing sacred or symbolic about the door frame of the house. But there's also no better location for a symbol or a sign displaying faith of all those who are inside than the door. The blood is smeared with a soft branch on all three of the edges of the door before the Passover is eaten. First things first, the blood. First things first. Again, if you want to talk to me about that later, I'd love to. First things first, the blood. Then, the stuff they're going to do later. Deliverance from death is the foremost need. For these instructions and proper memorializing of it is less crucial. The sign is meant to be as beneficial to the residents of the home as it is to be to those outside the home. Nighttime, all of a sudden, Israelites start killing lambs and blood is on the doorframe of all these Israelite houses in Egypt. Uh, If you're an Egyptian, uh, I think this is a problem. We've lived through several months of just unexplainable anomaly and now they're doing something they've never done before. The blood was as much for the person inside the house who was being secured in the promise as for the person outside the house who was witnessing this atypical, countercultural expression of faith. That's good for us to see. The eating, verse 8, takes place after nightfall. God establishes. According to this lunar cycle, that on the 14th day, after twilight, make the meal ready. Which is good, because this is going to be the peak of full moon. So in New Testament times, of course, the Passover was celebrated the same way. During the night in John thirteen thirty, the Bible says that after Jesus had been in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the first supper, the last Passover... He goes outside and John just simply says, and it was night. The Israelites are required to eat the Passover in a unique way. As I go into the next couple of verses, I would remind you what James says. James says, You can tell me you have faith, but I will show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. Keep that in mind as we think about the way they're instructed to eat the meal. Sit down and eat the meal, and do it like this. All aspects of the cooking and eating were designed to minimize time and maximize the preparedness for sudden exit. All the stuff that they had experienced, God's gonna do this, God has seen your affliction, God's taken mercy, God's gonna gonna, uh, persuade the rulers, your captives, to let you go. And they had seen nine previous times without exodus. And now God says, I've completed what I had ordained to do. And when this one's over, you're leaving. Uh, just a quick word. They're leaving what had been home for 400 years. Grandma and grandpa had grown up down the road. This was all they knew. This represented Some measure of comfort, even bondage. It's ironic, isn't it? That we even learn to become comfortable in bondage. Certainly, this was their comfort zone. But he says, Eat the Passover this way. First, roast the meat, don't boil it. I don't want any pots, I don't want any utensils. I want a fire. And I want you to cook the meat. He says to them too, season it or eat it with bitter herbs. These are just easier to find. To make a sweet herb. We don't understand this because we just open the cabinet door and we pull out whatever sweet herb we want. But to make, to boil down, to produce a sweet herb would have taken all kinds of time. No, you don't have that time. Use the bitter herbs. They're really easy to find eat it with bread without yeast. That one makes really good sense. You've seen mom lay dough out on the counter with a towel over it the night before you're going to eat it and you wait until it rises and is able to be baked. Nope. Just put it together, throw it in the oven, no yeast, heat it up, eat it now. He says, with head, limbs, and inner parts. (laughs) This means... That the gutting of the animal is to be most basic, simple, cooked rapidly, as opposed to the usual trimming and butchering of the animal and separating certain parts out. The extras are to be burned in the fire. A lot of Israelites would have been tempted to say, okay, we've cooked a lamb. It was delicious. And there's a little left over. Wrap that up tightly. We don't have refrigeration. But if we wrap it up tightly overnight, that's going to be part of breakfast tomorrow. And God says, no. No, I don't want you to think about breakfast tomorrow. I want you to do this today. And I want you to learn to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Because tomorrow, you'll lead us into different providence. And we'll trust you there, too. But today, just roast the sacrifice lamb. And don't think about leftovers. Throw the rest in the fire. And then he tells them how to dress. How to dress. When you have family get-togethers, I, <clears throat> I wonder, I'm just going to pull the audience just for a, a moment of personal interaction. How many of you, when you have your family get-togethers, uh, you dress a certain way? Like maybe business casual, whatever. You dress a certain way. You dress, when you get together. Thanksgiving, Christmas, you guys get together? Yeah, you're kind of going to dress up. Okay. How many of you would say that when you get together and you have your meal, it's expected that the people that come over keep their shoes on because it's semi, you know, formal and so they keep their shoes on. Would you show me? You say, when we get together, everyone that comes over keeps their shoes on. Nobody? Yeah, you guys do? You guys do? My my in-laws. My in-laws do that. None of you do. Says a lot about my in-laws. Yeah, that's right. Pack it on there. They are told to dress in a particular way. Look, look at what he gives them instruction. He says, first, your cloaks tucked into your belt. That's for travel. When they were at home, if it was cool and they wanted to keep the overcoat on, they would wear it loose, almost like a blanket. But when they were traveling, they had a belt, and they would tuck the loose parts of their overcoat into the belt, because they were going somewhere. He says, when you sit down to eat tonight, do it like this. That's really not very comfortable, but we think something's happening, so we will. Wear your shoes, which is never taking place. The shoes are checked at the door. I want you to have your shoes on. Look at the next one. Carry your staff with you. A symbol of protection. A tool for a journey. Carry the staff around the house. That would be maybe the equivalent of us carrying car keys in our hand. Nobody would do that. Unless you'd been told to. And you believed the one who told you to. He says, eat the meal in haste every teenage boy has a proof text for their table manners just celebrating the Passover here eat the meal in haste it is the Lord's Passover look with me at verse 12 I will pass through the land of Egypt that night I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Death of the firstborn. coming to the land as a judgment a judgment not only on the people but on all of their supposed protectors and deities the Nile God the the frog God the the um, the, the storm God all those gods are not going to save them but God will reveal that he rules over every other supposed Authority That is really important for us to learn. There is absolutely no authority on heaven or on earth apart from our God. Living to learn, learning to live in light of that confession is very important. Because we're always shaken by supposed uncertainties and threats and perils. And God makes it clear to us through this account and this revelation all of the other supposed authorities will come to nothing because I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Everything else will fall under my feet. All of this judgment as we started in chapter 1, we found this Pharaoh who says, hey, the people are getting to be too many. Throw their baby boys into the Nile. And we get to the end of these plagues. And God judges them righteously. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you. On the house where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land. All of the curse of this tenth plague is averted by blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. The blood is on the doorpost. What is the distinction between Israel and Egypt? What is the difference between Egypt and Israel? Death is going to come to every single home on that night. How will it distinguish between Egyptian homes and Israel homes? Well, you know, the Israelites, no, there's no way to end that sentence. The blood is the distinction. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. When execution comes to a home and sees blood, it will pass over and will not destroy you even while striking every home in the land. This is God's law For the use of the blood. There is no denying the law that was given to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses. All of the laws of God are pointing to the blood. Can you see that? In the garden, God gives Adam a law of everything you can eat, but not that. That's my law. Adam and Eve immediately transgress against the law. God arrives and says, someday, from the seed of woman, there will be bloodshed for this sin. Noah gets off the ark, and God says, make sacrifice here. And there is bloodshed. Abraham takes Isaac to an altar to sacrifice. And God says, wait. My covenant relationship with you that starts with your son and an innumerable number of descendants? Stop. There's a ram that will shed blood. And Moses gets here. And the first law that's given to the people, celebrate this Passover. Make your schedule like this so that you orient your thoughtfulness to my relationship with you and it's going to point to blood. The law makes it obvious. That bloodshed is necessary. Friend, when you stand before holy God through the microscope of the law, we are all guilty. And bloodshed is required. God has graciously made a way of escape from that being our bloodshed, but bloodshed is necessary. Paul says things like, before the law, I didn't didn't know sin. The, The law is magnifying my understanding that I am altogether guilty. Listen, the law does that same thing for us. Would you... Just allow me a moment. Um, We started our new course seminars today. If, If you didn't make it to the first one, please plan to join a course seminar next week. It's a really important part of our discipleship ministry, and we hope that you can participate. I'm teaching one called Two Ways to Live, and today we gave an introduction to evangelism. And we have sometimes used the law in our evangelism because we confront people who say, I don't think I'm a bad person. And it is helpful service to them to say, well, maybe compared to me, that's an accurate statement, but let's compare it to the one who will judge you. He has given this law, this standard, these rules. Have you kept them or have you violated them? And if any of us here right now are to think, have we kept them or violated them? Let me start with some big ones. Uh, Murder and adultery. Maybe some people in the room went, I'm glad he picked those. But Jesus taught us about both of them. Jesus told us that private, secret lust brought the same guilt that adultery brought. Jesus told us that hatred, anger, cursing, even in our heart, was of the same condemnation as murder. I, I want you to understand that according to James, even if you have kept all of the law and only had one bad day, one accidental moment of transgression, James says you are guilty of the whole law. If we have kept all of it and only offended in one point, we're guilty of all. The law points to guilt. And the good news is that death and blood are required for that guilt. But Jesus is a substitutionary sacrifice to stand in our guilty place. Jesus is. The law points to blood and the Passover lamb points to Jesus. There's no denying that the Passover lamb is absolutely Jesus Christ. 1 Peter says that Jesus was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but that was made obvious to us in the last times for our sake. He's prepared for sacrifice. Jesus is spotless, young, relatively, male, spotless. Also in Peter But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Allow me, permit, permit me a little latitude, just thinking about the events of the Passover and the events of Golgotha, of Calvary. Eating meat with bitter herb. Jesus on the cross says, I thirst. And they send up on a branch a sponge with bitter wine. Jesus dies at an unusual illumination. A solar eclipse in the middle of the day. The only sort of light is reflected light. An odd, ominous glow. Like moonlight. Jesus dies, according to Matthew 27, to set captives free. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two says, The tombs, when Jesus died, broke open. Bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep are raised. They come out of the tombs. After his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. Captives, people held in the power of the grave, are set free. Egyptians who are held, Israelites who are held in the bondage of Egyptians are going to be set free by the work of the lamb, by the blood. His death is not for himself but for others. The lamb's blood is spilled for others. He became sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the work of God. (laughs) Unlike all the gods of Egypt, or all the gods of Canaan, who could not deliver their people, God rescued by the blood, a people who were not different than Egyptian people, but they were under the blood. I can't say enough about that, friend. I can't say enough about the single distinction between saints and aints is just the blood. That is the only difference, Can you hear John the Baptist? Can you hear the voice crying in the wilderness? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We get to take communion today. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, bread, and juice. body sacrifice and blood shedding. Let me pray. Lord Father, as we come from the revelation of your Passover provision, you you are the God who saves. You deliver your people from bondage even while your people may have acclimated and become comfortable in their captivity you rescue us you rescue at such high price yours is not trivial or fickle it is an eternal weight His perfect sacrifice, perfectly ordered to make your bride perfectly holy in union with Christ. And we celebrate it. You're a father who provides. You've given us these instructions to to build up our faith. You've graciously given us a law as a church to participate in communion, to proclaim our Savior's death until he comes again, to minister to each other, to share the good news as we eat and drink. Thank you, Father, for the gift of Passover lamb, of blood sacrifice, of faith in receiving of memorial and our hearts being reminded this morning. We do so much stuff, Father. There's so many things. And like a father who takes his children by the hand and gently directs our attention to the most significant matter you give us, communion. Thank you for the grace of drawing our attention to its greatness. We pray to you together in Jesus' name. Amen.